Hey, this is Pastor Doug, and you have made it to our Christmas stories. We are going to be telling a different Christmas story every day of December up until Christmas. I love Christmas stories, and this is the best way I can think of to get into the Christmas spirit. Good to have you with us. Welcome back to A Christmas Carol. Our hero, Ebenezer Scrooge, is meeting the second of three spirits, the ghost of Christmas present. In time, the bells ceased, and the bakers were shut up. And yet, there was a genial shadowing forth of all these dinners, and the progress of their cooking, in the thawed blotch of wet above each baker's oven, where the pavement smoked, as if its stones were cooking too. Is there a peculiar flavor in what you sprinkle from your torch? Asked Scrooge. There is my own. Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? Asked Scrooge. To any kindly given, to a poor one most. Why to a poor one most? Asked Scrooge. Because it needs it most. Spirit, said Scrooge after a moment's thought, I wonder you, of all the beings in the many worlds about us, should desire to cramp these people's opportunity of innocent enjoyment. I, cried the spirit, you would deprive them of their means of dining every seventh day, often the only day on which... They can be said to dine at all, said Scrooge. Wouldn't you? I, cried the spirit. You seek to close these places on the seventh day, said Scrooge, and it comes to the same thing. I seek, exclaimed the spirit. Forgive me if I am wrong. It has been done in your name, or at least in that of your family, said Scrooge. There are some upon this earth of yours, returned the spirit, who claim to know us and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name, who are as strange to us and all our kith and kin as if they had never lived. Remember that and charge their doings on themselves not us. Scrooge promised that he would, and they went on, invisible, as they had been before, into the suburbs of the town. It was a remarkable quality of the ghost, which Scrooge had observed at the baker's, that notwithstanding his gigantic size, he could accommodate himself to any place with ease, and that he stood beneath a low roof quite as gracefully and like a supernatural creature as it was possible he could have done in any lofty hall. And perhaps it was the pleasure the good spirit had in showing off this power of his, or else it was his own kind, generous, hearty nature and his sympathy with all poor men that led him straight to Scrooge's clerk. For there he went and took Scrooge with him, holding to his robe. And on the threshold of the door, the spirit smiled, 
and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinkling of his torch. Think of that. Bob had but 15 Bob a week himself. He pocketed on Saturdays but 15 copies of his Christian name, and yet the ghost of Christmas present blessed his four-roomed house. Then up rose Mrs. Cratchit, Cratchit's wife, dressed out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons which are cheap, and made a goodly show for sixpence, and she laid the cloth, assisted by Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, also brave in ribbons, while Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes and getting the corners of his monstrous shirt collar, Bob's private property, conferred upon his son an heir in honor of the day, into his mouth, rejoiced to find himself so gallantly attired and yearned to show his linen in the fashionable parks. And now two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, screaming that outside the bakers they had smelled the goose and known it for their own, and basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion, these young Cratchits danced about the table and exalted Master Peter Cratchit to the skies, while he, not proud, although his collars nearly choked him, blew the fire until the slow potatoes bubbling up knocked loudly at the saucepan lid to be let out and peeled. "'What has got your precious father, then?' said Mrs. Cratchit. "'And your brother, Tiny Tim, and Martha, weren't as light last Christmas Day by half an hour.' "'Here's Martha, mother,' said a girl, appearing as she spoke. "'Here's Martha, mother!' cried the two young Cratchits. "'Hurrah! There's such a goose, Martha!' "'Why, bless your hearts alive, my dear! How late are you?' said Mrs. Cratchit, kissing her a dozen times, taking off her shawl and bonnet for her with officious zeal. "'We'd a deal of work to finish up last night,' replied the girl, "'and had to clear away this morning, mother.' "'Well, Never mind so long as you are come, said Mrs. Cratchit. Sit ye down before the fire, my dear, and have a warm Lord bless ye. No, no, there's father coming, cried the two young Cratchits, who were everywhere at once. Hide, Martha, hide! So Martha hid herself. And in came little Bob, the father, with at least three feet of comforter exclusive of the fringe hanging down before him and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas, for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. Why, where's our Martha? cried Bob Cratchit, coming round. Not coming, said Mrs. Cratchit. Not coming, said Bob, with a sudden declension in his high spirits, for he had been Tim's blood horse all the way from church and had come home rampant. Not coming upon Christmas Day? Martha didn't like to see him disappointed, if it were only a joke. 
So she came out prematurely from behind the closet doors and ran into his arms while the two young Cratchits hustled Tiny Tim and bore him off into the wash house that he might hear the pudding singing in the copper. And how did little Tiny Tim behave, asked Mrs. Cratchit, when she had rallied Bob on his credulity and Bob had hugged his daughter to his heart's content. As good as gold, said Bob, and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful, sitting by himself so much. And he thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me coming home that he hoped the people saw him in the church because he was a cripple. And it might be pleasant to them to remember upon Christmas Day. Who made lame beggars walk? and blind men see. Bob's voice was tremulous when he told them this and trembled more when he said that Tiny Tim was growing strong and hearty. His active little crutch was heard upon the floor and back came Tiny Tim before another word was spoken, escorted by his brother and sister to his stool beside the fire. And while Bob turning up his cuffs, as if, poor fellow, they were capable of being made more shabby, compounded some hot mixture in a jug with gin and lemons and stirred it round and round and put it on the hob to simmer. Master Peter and the two ubiquitous young Cratchits went to fetch the goose with which they soon returned in high procession. Such a bustle ensued that you might have thought a goose the rarest of all birds. A feathered phenomenon to which a black swan was a matter of course. And in truth, it was something very like it in that house. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy ready beforehand in a little saucepan, hissing hot. Master Peter mashed the potatoes with his incredible vigor. Miss Belinda sweetened up the applesauce. Martha dusted the hot plates. Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table. The two young Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves. And mounting guard upon their posts, crammed spoons into their mouths, lest they should shriek for goose before their turn came to be helped. At last, the dishes were set on and the grace was said. It was succeeded by a breathless, pause as Mrs. Cratchit, looking slowly all along the carving knife, prepared to plunge it in the breast. But when she did, and when the long-expected gush of stuffing issued forth, one murmur of delight arose all around the board. And even Tiny Tim, excited by the two young Cratchits, beat on the table with his handle of his knife and feebly cried, hurrah. There never was such a goose. Bob said he didn't believe there ever was such a goose cooked. Its tenderness and flavor, size and cheapness were the themes of universal admiration. Eked out by the applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Indeed, as Mrs. Cratchit said with great delight, surveying one small atom of a bone upon the dish. They hadn't ate it all at last. Yet everyone 
had enough. And the youngest Cratchits in particular were steeped in sage and onion to the eyebrows. But how the plates being changed by Miss Belinda, Mrs. Cratchit left the room alone, too nervous to bear witness, to take the pudding up and bring it in. Suppose it should not be done enough. Suppose it should break in turning out. Suppose someone should have got over the wall of the backyard and stolen it while they were merry with the goose, a supposition at which the two young Cratchits became livid. All sorts of horror were supposed. Hello, a great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper, a smell like a washing day. That was the cloth. A smell like an eating house and a pastry cook's next door to each other with a laundress next door to that. That was the pudding. In half a minute, Mrs. Cratchit entered, flushed, but smiling proudly with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quartern of ignited brandy and belight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding, Bob Cratchit said, and calmly too that he regarded it as the greatest success achieved by Mrs. Cratchit since their marriage. Mrs. Cratchit said that, it, that now that the weight was off her mind, she would confess that she had had her doubts about the quantity of flour. Everybody had something to say about it, but nobody said or thought it was at all a small pudding for a large family. It would have been flat hearsay to do so. Any Cratchit would have blushed to hint at such a thing. At last, the dinner was all done. The cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up, the compound in the jug being tasted and considered perfect. Apples and oranges were put upon the table and a shovel full of chestnuts on the fire. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth in what Bob Cratchit called a circle meaning half a one. And at Bob Cratchit's elbow stood the family display of glass, two tumblers and a custard cup without a handle. These held the hot stuff from the jug. However, as well as gold goblets would have done, and Bob served it out with beaming looks. While the chestnuts on the fire sputtered and crackled noisily, then Bob proposed... A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us, which all the family re-echoed. God bless us, everyone, said Tiny Tim, the last of all. He sat very close to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he loved the child and wished to keep him by his side and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, said Scrooge with an interest he had never felt before. Tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat, replied the ghost, in the poor chimney corner, in a crutch without an owner, carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unfaltered by the future, 
the child will die. No! No! Said Scrooge. Oh, no! Kind spirit, say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my race, returned the ghost, will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, he had better do it and decrease the population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit, and he was overcome with penitence and grief. Man, said the ghost, if man you be in heart, not adamant, forbear that wicked cant until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? It may be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Oh God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on the too much life among his hungry brothers in the dust. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground, but he raised them speedily on hearing his own name. Mr. Scrooge, said Bob, I'll give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. The founder of the feast, indeed, cried Mrs. Cratchit, reddening. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, said Bob, the children, Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day, I am sure, said she, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, was Bob's mild answer, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the Lord's, said Mrs. Cratchit. Not for his. Long life to him, a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. He'll be very merry and very happy. I have no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings which had no heartiness in it. Tiny Tim drank it last of all, but he didn't care two pence for it. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for full five minutes. And we'll take that opportunity to stop. Tune in tomorrow when you'll hear Scrooge's nephew say about himself, about Scrooge, I am sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Okay, sweet dreams. And may your dreams be merry and 